Well, I was having a little bit of a trouble trying to figure out what I was going to speak on. Yesterday when I got home, I began to start working on Bible study and I wasn't really sure what I was going to talk about, but then lucky for me, I began to just for a few minutes look through social media and voila, there it is. And the majority of you are going to know what I'm talking about here. I'm going to talk about for a few minutes requirements for a biblical congregation. And where this came from is as I was looking through social media, as a matter of, again, I, matter of fact, I saw it again uh, today a few times. Uh, specifically, there was a page there on uh, social media. And uh, it's a place where people who are members of the church can go and request uh, faithful congregations for either those who are um, just moving to an area or for those who are maybe traveling. Uh, and they ask for faithful congregations in the area. Sometimes they call them sound. Sometimes they call them strong. Sometimes they call them conservative. There's a bunch of different uh, phrases they use, but they'll basically say, for example, in Portage, Michigan, can somebody name uh, a faithful congregation or sound congregation, a conservative congregation? And people will then refer to whatever city it is. They'll refer some recommendations. Now, let me say this uh, for anybody watching this. I've gone and actually checked some of their recommendations. And let me tell you this. They're not either sound or faithful or strong or conservative in many accounts. Uh, so, again, let me say for anybody who does follow that page, and it's a good thing. It is good for people to list sound, faithful congregations. But let me tell you, you can't really trust the people uh, who are listing those. You need to go back and verify. Go to the websites check what they believe, uh, listen to some sermons, and check all that stuff out. Because oftentimes when I've checked it out, uh, there's a bunch of things that are extremely scary. And in some cases, I've flat out found on their websites just pure erroneous doctrine being taught. But let me move on. <clears throat> so if you look at social media and you look at a page like that where people are requesting faithful congregations, it appears to me that, that many people uh, are looking for a what I'm going to call a biblical congregation. I'm not going to use terms like sound or, or faithful. Faithful would be a good word, and even sound really, but I'm not going to use those words. Let's just use a biblical congregation. It sounds like many people are looking for or want to be part of a biblical congregation. And if you ask a lot of people what makes up a biblical congregation, you're going to get a lot of different opinions as to what make up a biblical congregation. Here's what I found interesting as I looked through, the, uh, through that social media page. Uh, and people who were making recommendations and said, you know, I attend there, or I attended there, and they're a, they're a faithful congregation, a sound congregation, a strong congregation, a conservative congregation. It's interesting to me that uh, there's an awful lot of definitions as to what constitutes a strong biblical congregation. But it does appear to me that virtually everybody I could come across seems to think that they attend one, whether they're members of the Lord's Church, or whether they're members of some denominational group or some community church. Uh, but we need to understand real quick, as we begin to talk for just a few minutes about biblical congregations, uh, that doesn't happen by accident. That's not something that just all of a sudden falls into place and you end up at a congregation that's a biblical congregation. Uh, and the size of the congregation also does not give you a determination as to the strength and or the health of that local congregation. You could have a congregation which has a hundred people. Uh, I start to get concerned when I see congregations of, I'll just say it, 400, 500, whatever, uh, and even some below that. But I start to get concerned when I see large congregations. But you can have a congregation of a hundred people that is completely strong and healthy, but you could also have a congregation with as little as 20 or 30 or 40 people that is strong and healthy. Now, many people look at a congregation of even our size, where you've got, let's say, 40-some people or whatever on a regular day, maybe swells up into the 50s or 60s on a good day, uh, and they look at that congregation and think, well, that's, that's not a very healthy congregation. It's, it's not a strong congregation, and they may even come to the conclusion it's not a biblical congregation. But you can have a strong, faithful congregation with a very few number of people, uh, just as you can with a larger congregation. And let's say this, because there are people, obviously, who are looking for biblical congregations when they move, when they travel. I've had to do it. Uh, first thing you need to understand is you're not going to find any perfect congregation. They, they just don't exist. There's going to be some issue somewhere. Uh, you can look through the New Testament, look at all the different congregations that are listed. Uh, none of them were perfect either. Uh, but what you do need to look for is one that does teach sound doctrine, does worship uh, according to the Scriptures, 
Uh, and some of those things that make them imperfect are simply just uh, personality clashes or issues like that. Uh, so you're not going to find a perfect congregation. One common issue that we have to also keep in mind before we really start to get into the study is this. You're going to have new members in congregations. Uh, and that's both good and bad. Uh, new members oftentimes will bring in issues. They'll bring in um, elements of weaknesses, lack of knowledge, lack of judgment. And here's the good part. The good part with new Christians are they bring in excitement. Not only for themselves, but we get excited because they're excited. Or we get excited because we do see that the, the congregation is fulfilling its intent. It is bringing in new Christians. But again, they oftentimes do bring in problems within the congregation. They do sometimes bring in concerns, some headaches, things you've got to work through. That's just part of the maturing process for any growing congregation. Right? Uh, a congregation that's not dealing with the problems of new converts is probably a congregation that's not converting people. Uh, so we welcome the new Christian, but we also understand that oftentimes they are going to bring in issues. So what should we be looking for then if we are looking for a biblical congregation? Or what should the person be looking for if they're not yet a Christian and they are looking for a biblical congregation? Let me say this before I go in, and my notes really aren't, aren't as complete as they probably should be, but I really can only just address a few of these. And I'm not going to overload you with Scripture, but we are going to start to mention some of the things that you should be looking for. A few of, all of these are important, but a few of them are really the foundational elements that you need that supports all the rest of them. And I'll point those out as we get to them. There's really just one or two, probably two that are foundational, and the rest are built upon that. But all of them are equally as important and needed. So let's start off. What do we need for a biblical congregation? Well, first we have to have an understanding that both the individual within the congregation and the, congrega and the congregation as a whole, they need to be spiritually minded. Okay, now you're going to find congregations that are not spiritually minded. You're going to find individuals that are not spiritually minded. Listen to Romans 8, starting in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. All right, let me pause for a minute. You ever heard people say, man, I'll be so excited when we get to X number of people, right? They're worried about worldly things, the appearance of, uh, of how many people are in the building. Some people will even do anything to get that number of people in the building, right? They're worried about fleshly things. For they, are, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And just as people are oftentimes overwhelmed and worried about the physical aspects, the building, the, the number of people, whatever, you'll oftentimes find scattered out within those types of congregations people who do want to be spiritually minded. They're not so worried about what kind of building they worship in. They're not so much worried about how many people are there. There are usually oftentimes people within there uh, even if, even in some of these groups that are teaching error and don't know it, there are oftentimes people that would do right if they were just taught right. But as Christians, we have to be spiritually minded and understand that that has to come to the forefront, right? If we are spiritually minded, that is going to bring peace in both our personal lives and also within the congregation. As a matter of fact, being spiritually minded is really supposed to be the inherent nature of the church. That's what we as Christians are supposed to be. We are supposed to be spiritually minded. It keeps us in correct perspective in a number of regards. Uh, again, you're not worried about the size of the building, right? You're not worried about if the building were to burn down. If the building burns down, we just meet somewhere else. Uh, we don't worry about things like that. We're not, again, worried about how many people are necessarily in the building. Yes, we are nowhere near... Uh, the size of the community church that's right behind my house. And it bothers me to see that so many people go there because I know what they teach. But it doesn't bother me based on the number of people that we have here because I know that they are faithful. Again, we have to be spiritually minded. Spiritually minded allows us to be content within our personal life. And you're going to see that that actually carries over into congregations. Um, Think about this. We need to be spiritually minded regarding things like uh, our marriages, right? Being spiritually minded allows me to be happy and content with my bride. 
being spiritually minded allows me to be happy and content with the income that I have, the possessions that I have. Uh, being spiritually minded allows me to provide an atmosphere within my home where the family can interact as a family should, where it also allows me to bring up children who are seeing Christianity being played out, who are, are being taught uh, that the Bible is important, a number of those things. And my point is simply this, is that spiritually minded people in their personal lives are also spiritually minded people within the congregation, right? If you want to have a faithful congregation, it starts at the very, at the very beginning with spiritually minded individuals, and those spiritually minded individuals lead to spiritually minded congregations. I'll touch on that here a little bit later. If we want to be in a biblical congregation, we have to have members within the congregation that are concerned about missing and erring members. Uh, you can't have a biblical congregation where members are allowed to do whatever they want or allowed to leave and allowed to live unfaithful lives. Without going into a lot of detail and spending time talking about church discipline, uh, if you have people who don't care about erring members or they don't care about members who are, let's just throw an example out there, who aren't showing up on a regular basis and so forth, I can tell you right off the bat that they don't meet, they don't meet the requirements for congregational discipline being carried out. There's a problem right there then and of itself, uh, which really could be spent, talked about in another sermon. But biblical congregations have members who are worried about those who are, who are missing, those who are in error, whether it's doctrinal matters, whatever that might be. However they're in error, we're worried about it. Listen to Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, this goes back to the being spiritually minded, right? Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. We have to be concerned about them because our goal is to restore them. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, right? This could happen to me. And I would want a loving brother or sister in Christ to come and address it with me. He goes on, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is all part of the law of Christ. We'll touch on that here, but the entire law of Christ, all of our inspired New Testament is necessary, and we need to be concerned about any member who is not in alignment with the law of Christ. Why? Well, we don't want anybody to be lost. Uh, we care about the souls of all people, whether they're people who are not yet Christians uh, or, or people who are yet who people who are Christians, uh, and for whatever reason have not been faithful, right? And if you're like me, let's just be honest. You're probably worried about some people. Uh, I know what people have not been here. It greatly concerns me when people are people obey the gospel, and then right off the bat, you find out they are not showing up at the building. I'll just say that for anybody watching. If you're watching this and you're a Christian and you've not been to the building in X number of weeks. There is a serious spiritual issue, uh, and I would hope that your spouse would address it with you, and if you come back, we probably should address it with you. Uh, but we have the understanding that as Christians, we should be worried about people, and I think there are a number of us here who probably do worry about people. There are a couple of Christians specifically on my mind right now that I, I worry about. I, I wonder what they're struggling with, and I wonder, for it, in some cases, if they're going to come back. Uh, in some cases, I wonder if, if they've lost their faith and if they have no intent of coming back. As a Christian, that's something that we do. We worry about other Christians. Why do we do that? Well, just as we... I mean, I worry about people that I work with that I really like that have not obeyed the gospel. I worry about them just as much as the unfaithful Christians because I know that there's a judgment coming. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me help you out a little bit. They obey not the gospel, the good news. They're not obeying the entirety of that New Testament. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I don't want that to happen to people that I work with that have not yet obeyed the gospel. I worry about that because uh, I like a lot of those people. I mean, I really do. They're, they're good people, but they've not yet obeyed the gospel. They've not yet been taught. 
But I don't want that to happen for any of my brothers or sisters in Christ. Just as much as I wouldn't want that to happen to my spouse or any of my children. Uh, we'll touch on that here because we're, we're a family. We care about one another. Another thing you're going to find in a biblical congregation is that all of the individuals are involved in the work of the church. That's not what you find in many congregations. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now some would say, well, He mentioned quite a few roles right there, but you know, He didn't really address the rest of the people. Well, let me, let me say it this way. Every single person within a congregation has a role to play within that specific congregation. And each of us ought to be adding new abilities to our role on a regular basis, right? The idea is, is that we as Christians are continuously growing. Listen to Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, Paul didn't write that very clearly. He has a specific writing style that sometimes is difficult. What's he saying? Every single part of the congregation is needed for the congregation to effectively work together, right? Everybody is just as important as the next person. I am no more important than anybody else, whether it's the guy shoveling the snow, whether it's whoever's cleaning the building, whether it's whoever's mowing the yard, every bit of that is needed for the congregation to work together. And I want to address something that I see happening quite often. Uh, within the churches of Christ, faithful members in biblical congregations recognize that there isn't a separate clergy that, unlike what you'll find in the denominational groups or the community churches. Uh, the average person that goes to a denominational group or goes to a community church looks at the priest or the pastor or a select few people, maybe it's the people in the worship ministry or the people who teach, they look at them as the ones who carry out the work, right? And then they look at themselves as just the ones in the audience. And I'm going to tell you this, this is becoming a very prevalent thought even within the churches of Christ, right? The preacher does the preaching. He may do all of the teaching, or you may have one or two other people, maybe they're elders, or they're gifted uh, as far as teachers, and they're knowledgeable, and they teach. So they look at them as the leadership of the church, right? They're the ones that do the work for the church, and I'm just the one that sits in the pew. Wow, what a dangerous thought process, because all of us as Christians are priests. 1 Peter 2.9, now let me say this, we are all priests, yet we do have differing, differing roles. Uh, and that is very clearly based on the Scriptures. But listen to 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have to remember that as priests, as a chosen generation, one of the things we have to do is prepare for our worship on Sunday. And let me... Let me spend some time just for a second talking about those that, that are in roles where they take part in leading worship. One of the things we do is, is because we're spiritually minded, we began thinking about worship way before Sunday morning at 9.45. Uh, if we're leading songs, we ought to have some idea of the songs we're going we're gonna to sing. If we're going to try new songs, we ought to have tried them out uh, and make sure that we have them down. If we're doing the... Uh, the uh, Lord's Supper, we ought to have some idea of what passages we're going to go through, spend some time preparing how we're going to explain to the congregation why we are doing the Lord's Supper. Uh, in all of the leadership positions that we have within worship, within the congregation, each of those men need to prepare in advance. Now, again, I know that's not what happens in many congregations. I have been to congregations where it was very evident to me that the men took their role very seriously and they spent time during the week preparing for the Lord's Day because they were leading in some aspect and they knew that that is an important thing. And so they spent a lot of time. 
each person leading needs to be prepared to carry that out to the best of their ability. Then you may say, well, what about the rest of the people in the audience? Well, they have responsibilities too. Uh, each individual who's not leading worship needs to be prepared to one, be in the right mindset, but two, to take part in worship and to be prepared to be involved in and carry out all of those acts of worship. And again, that goes back to what we started off with about being spiritually minded. If you're spiritually minded, uh, you're going to be prepared for worship or when things get back to normal for Bible study. If we're studying a certain uh, subject during Bible study under normal conditions when the congregation's meeting, you're going to study on that subject. You're going to study ahead. You're going to be prepared to ask questions, to partake in the conversation that's going on there. <clears throat> but each of us as individuals within the church have to be prepared to carry out the work of the church and be prepared to be involved in the work and the worship of the church. Now that's going to rely on this. I told you there's a couple of foundational ones we'll touch on that really are the foundation for all the other ones. They rest on them. And here's one of them here. For us to have biblical congregations, certainly we need spiritually minded people. That's one of the foundational aspects. But two, you need to have people who are knowledgeable. Listen to Romans 15, 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Why, do we, why, is, it, why is knowledge such an important thing? Uh, I know a lot of people who claim to be Christians who have no knowledge whatsoever regarding the Bible. Do you want to know what's acceptable in worship? Do you want to know what, are, what, are, uh, what is correct Bible doctrine? Uh, those are things that are important, right? When people are asking about, well, do you know a sound congregation? A faithful congregation? Do you know a biblical congregation? Uh, if you're going to find a sound, faithful, biblical congregation, what you're going to have is a congregation of people who are, uh, are knowledgeable. They know what is authorized within worship, right? They know the acts of worship. They know what is sound doctrine, and that's what they allow to have taught from behind their pulpit. Uh, but when you don't have that, when you have people who do not have knowledge, what do you start having? You start having people teaching things on uh, for example, like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on Christians. People are teaching things like faith-only salvation. People are teaching things like children's worship. People are teaching things like premillennialism. People are teaching things like, like the new fad coming out about, you know, people are going go to go to a heaven on a renewed earth. All of that stuff starts because people are lacking in knowledge. You want a biblical congregation, you need a congregation where the members are knowledgeable and are continuing to grow in knowledge. I understand we can't all just have immediate knowledge once we become Christians. It takes work. Uh, but we got to know the book. Uh, the congregations uh, of faithful Christians back in the day, they were known as people of the book, right? They did their study. They understood. They were prepared to teach on, on a, a plethora of matters. And certainly they were prepared to teach somebody the gospel, even if they didn't have a Bible in their hands. We have to face the fact that the majority of congregations today cannot teach other people what the gospel is without a Bible. All right? And even with a Bible, many of them would struggle. I have had many members in the past say, hey, I've got somebody, uh, they need to be taught the gospel, and I'm wondering, I mean, sure, I want to teach them, bring them to me, but I'm wondering, you know them, why aren't you teaching them the gospel? And I've asked somebody before, why don't you teach, why don't you teach them? Well, I, I, don't, I just don't know if I could do it right. Uh, I don't know if I know enough. Yeah. You've been a Christian for X number of years. You, you should know enough. You should be able to do it. <clears throat> it takes study. It takes memorization. Uh, but biblical congregations need to have people who are sound and faithful according to the Word, and that's based on knowledge. Knowledge is the key for people obeying the gospel, right? I mean, there was a time when I wasn't a Christian. How did I become a Christian? I, I began to gain knowledge, enough that I could obey the gospel. And then I continued to gain knowledge. Knowledge is the key to obeying the gospel. It's also the key to continued strength within a congregation so that a congregation can be faithful and be described as a biblical congregation. Or if they want to use the other words like sound, faithful. I want you to remember this. <laughs> Reading can seriously damage one's ignorance. Now, I was once completely ignorant, and reading seriously damaged that. Uh, a lack of reading is why we have denominational churches. A lack of reading is why we have 
community churches. A lack of reading is why we have erring congregations or unbiblical congregations. If everybody would read the same Bible we just and, and understand it with knowledge, we'd just have one church, and I think we get that. Primarily, it is a lack of reading, which results in congregations that either become unscriptural in their worship and or their teaching. And sometimes it's the preacher's fault, and sometimes it's a combination of the preacher's fault and the congregation's fault. But I'll say this, I have never seen it where both the preacher and the members of the congregation were spiritually minded with a desire to be faithful, and the church was an unbiblical congregation. I've never seen that. Uh, it's almost impossible if a congregation is spiritually minded, want to do right, and they have knowledge. Uh, in all of the cases I'm aware of, those are faithful congregations. Now, I'm not saying they may, uh, they may lack a little here or there, and they're still growing, but for the most part, if you're spiritually minded, you have a desire to do right, you have knowledge of the Scriptures, and you, you want to be faithful, in all of the accounts I'm aware of, that leads to a biblical congregation. Within those biblical congregations, we need dependable people. Let me say this. Some Christians are just predictably undependable, and you probably know some, right? You might even be a, a member at a congregation where you know so-and-so is always going to be two minutes before Bible class starts, or two minutes before worship starts, or you may know that they actually come in five minutes after worship starts. Let me just say this. When you do that, if, if you're one of those people that always comes in late, uh, you come across as somebody who doesn't value other people's time. All right? Other people, they, they make sure they get here so we can start worship on time or so that we can start Bible study on time. You really come across as one who is either not prepared in general in life or two, you just don't respect the time of other people. Now, I can understand a flat tire here and there and I can understand people literally, but when you're one of those people that's always late, uh, you really need to look within yourself. Christians need to be dependable. Listen to 3 John chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity or love before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth." Christians are diligent in all that they do. Now, when I talk about dependable, I'm not just talking about getting to the building on time. Uh, you can count on them not only to get to the building on time and not only to do whatever it is that they're supposed to do, right? If you're making the Lord's Supper, uh, preparing it before worship, uh, if you're dependable, I, I expect when I get here that you're going to have the Lord's Supper up here before worship starts, right? That's what a dependable person would do if they're the one that's preparing the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you're one who's reading the Bible Scriptures, right, wherever, wherever you attend, you're going to get there in enough time to find out what the Scripture is prior to the sermon. Uh, if you're a preacher, you're going to have spent time dependably preparing a message that's in alignment with the Scriptures. We could cover this in so many regards. But Christians need to be dependable on all counts. They're trustworthy. Uh, they always have the benefit of the doubt from another Christian because, you, one, you know that they're a Christian that's supposed to do right. And certainly if they're spiritually minded, you wouldn't expect them to want to do wrong. Uh, we know that they're going to be confidential in matters that, that really are no, nobody else's business. Uh, we know that they're going to be predictably faithful, right? I mean, that's, that's what you would expect at a biblical congregation. And you would also expect that they're going to be predictably uh, in alignment with the Scriptures. Uh, if I was out at the local store somewhere and somebody said, Hey, I heard so-and-so goes to your congregation uh, you, you know, they, they believe and teach faith, faith only. I would immediately think back, man, I've never heard comments like that from them in Bible study. Uh, I've known that person forever. They've been taught time and time again how one becomes a Christian. I can't even imagine that they would be teaching that. Now, uh, I would give them the benefit of the doubt. Would I eventually go ask them? Well, I'd want them to know that somebody else is saying that. But I wouldn't think for a second that a member of a faithful biblical congregation is out espousing error to other people. would be the farthest thing from my mind. Does it happen? It does. It does. But uh, until I've actually confirmed it with the person, uh, that's going to be the last thing on my mind is that, yeah, they're out there teaching error. I give them the benefit of the doubt because as Christians, we're to be dependable and we are to expect people to be dependable. One, in their behavior to all people 
and their uh, activities within the church, but also dependable regarding doctrine. Christians have to abound in giving. People don't like to talk about giving. We don't talk about giving very often. We don't want to look like all those other denominational groups. That, we don't want to look like the denominational groups or those other churches out there, like community churches, or like these uh, name-it-and-claim-it guys on TV that are always worried about money. So we don't talk about giving. Uh, but we also understand that the work of the church is, is solely provided by the members of the church, right? We don't have bake sales. We don't have a donate tab up on our website so that non-Christians can give. The members of the church are the ones that have to give for the work of the church, and therefore we have to abound in our giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. They were poor, and yet they still, they still gave aboundingly. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Let me pause. you imagine how hard it would be to take uh, as much money as they could give from a really poor congregation? You'd almost feel bad doing it, but imagine if you wouldn't have taken it. I mean, this made them happy to be able to abound and to give for the work of the church. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Nobody has ever become poor by giving. I guarantee you that. Nobody has ever become poor by giving. Uh, we have to have this mindset that we're going, to, we're going to give as we've been told to give, in the manner in which we've been told to give. We're going to, we're going to do it as we've prospered. We're going to do it cheerfully. Uh, and our goal is to be able to help others uh, to be spiritually successful, when I talk about abounding in our giving, as well as to aid in the work of the local congregation in carrying out the work of the church, right? We, we give in a couple of different ways. If I, if I know a, a fellow brother or sister in Christ that needs something, uh, I'm going to abound in my giving to them. And I'm not going to walk around and tell everybody that I gave it to them and pat myself on the back. But I'm going to abound in giving personally to my uh, brother or sister in Christ that needs it. But I'm also going to have to abound in my giving on behalf of the local congregation. Now, I've heard of people who say, well, I'm not going to give because I, I'm mad at the preacher or I don't like what's going on within the church, so I'm going to withhold my giving. Are you giving it to the church or to the preacher or, or are you mandated by God to give it on behalf of the church which you attend? right there of that local congregation. For anybody who's ever had that mindset of, I'm not giving because I'm mad at the church, or I'm mad at so-and-so, or I'm mad at the preacher, or I'm mad at the elders, you really need to look within yourselves and ask yourself, why are you giving? Go back and read the verses that talk about giving and ask yourself, why do you have that mindset? You're not just giving some donation to the church uh, so that they can teach the gospel or help others. It is a whole lot more than that. You are sharing in an individual responsibility. L let me change it. You're not just sharing in an individual responsibility within the congregation. You are sharing in an individual and congregational privilege to be able to be giving of your means to help carry out the work of the church, whether that money were to be used uh, here personally on, on, behalf of these, uh, on behalf of a Christian who needs something, or whether it's simply being used to carry out the gospel and the preaching of the gospel, it doesn't matter. It's a privilege to be able to give that money. Each individual within the congregation, and this goes back to talking about we have to have knowledge, each individual has to be willing to contend for the faith. It's not enough thing to just think you can come to the building and leave, uh, and then throughout either your personal life, uh, or even at the building, if someone were to teach air, think that you can just show up, you can just leave, and you're not going to have to contend for the faith. It's necessary for us as all Christians. You want to have a biblical congregation, you've got to have people within the congregation that will contend for the faith. If you want to add people who are not yet Christians to your congregation, you've got to defend the faith on a personal level, even outside the, con the congregation, outside the four walls. Listen to Jude 1.3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith 
which was once delivered unto the saints. You've got to be willing to stand up for truth. You know, if I'm at work and I hear people say something as we're talking about religious things and it's not accurate, I correct it. Uh, and normally I can just do it by memory. Normally I can quote a book, chapter, and verse. Uh, and if I can, I'll, I'll pull out my phone and I'll look it up. I'll search for it and I'll show them. Uh, I've got to contend for the faith. Now, it's not very often that I just get to talk to someone at work and I can just rattle off what the gospel teaches and get them to obey it. But I can have conversations with them on a regular basis. And as I address things, quite often I'll, I'll ask people, do you know tithing is not in the New Testament? And I'll show them the verses. You know, here's what, here's what Christians are supposed to do. Do they do that where you're at? I'll contend for the faith in whatever manner is being talked about. Maybe it's marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Maybe it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, uh, maybe they send their children, they tell me they send their children to worship, children's worship. And I'll come back and say, listen, let's go to Colossians and Ephesians and look at where Paul addresses the children. Where are they at? They're within the, in the congregation. They're not off in some children's worship, right? Whatever it is, we have to be willing to defend the faith. That means we're not fellowshipping false doctrine. That means we're not fellowshipping false teachers. We're not out promoting them. What we're doing is exposing them. That's why I don't ever put quotes on social media by people like Francis Chan, by people like Joel Olstein, by whichever one of these false teachers you want to name. I don't, I don't promote any of that stuff. I don't want people to even know they exist. I don't want them to know their false doctrine. So I don't promote it. I expose it. Uh, and let me tell you again, just ask yourself as a Christian, if you're posting that kind of stuff, what you need to be doing is pointing people to faithful websites and faithful ministers within the churches of Christ. Quit pointing people to guys like Francis Chan by quoting their stuff. Because if you're quoting it and posting it, they must think you agree with it. And just because the guy has one article or one statement that is correct, doesn't mean that the rest of the stuff is correct. Send them over to a faithful Church of Christ website. Send them over to a faithful minister within the church that has a blog. Send them over to faithful teaching by the members of the Church of Christ. Why? Because our goal is to contend for the faith, not post false doctrine and false teachers. All right, I'll get off the uh, soapbox on that. But my point is simply this. As a Christian, you've got to take a stand. Whether it's in your secular workplace, whether it's within the congregation, maybe it has to take place during a Bible study, right? I guarantee you, and I have no doubt within my mind at all, and I'm proud of it, but if I were to teach something that is incorrect during Bible study, I guarantee you somebody within this congregation would correct me. That's what a biblical congregation does. Right? And if I showed up to a congregation, even if I was visiting, and I heard somebody teaching false doctrine, I'm raising my hand. They may not know. I want them to know, but I've got to take a stand. That doesn't mean that I treat that individual harshly. It doesn't mean I call them names. It doesn't mean I browbeat them down to the point where they never want to listen to me again. It, it may mean that I do have to use very straightforward language to tell them that they are in error. Uh, or it may mean that I need to tell them that I do oppose exactly what it is that they're teaching. But my goal would be, not that I'm the best at it yet, but I'm striving to get better, but my goal would be to teach them in a way that hopefully I come across as lovingly, that I can show them that what they're teaching is wrong, uh, and that because I have a care for their soul, I want them to know right. Again, let's go back to the, what I said earlier. A person can't do right if they don't know right. That kind of leads into the next point. Christians have to have love one for another. Now, specifically, I mean within the congregations, but it carries over to you know, outside the congregation. That we are to love one another. That's what makes congregations strong, and it, it's also what draws people to congregations. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Let me pause. That's common sense. It's just common sense that I ought to love people, especially when this is, this is the family of God. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't take a genius to, to go, oh, really, I should love those people. He goes on. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia, right? Not only is it logical, he says, you guys are doing it. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You're already doing it, guys, he says, but I want you to, I want you to continue to grow and just how much it is that you love one another. I want to see your guys' love for one another continue to, to grow and to abound more and more and more. And guys, when you have a congregation like that, you have a congregation that is infectious to everybody else around. People will show up at the congregation 
even if they've never been there, and they'll say, I, I felt the love in the congregation. Or if they've never been there, they'd say, I really felt like I was wanted there. People greeted me. They talked to me. Right? We don't want to be the one that walks up to the new visitor in our seat and is standing there and look at him and go, hey, that's, that's my seat. Can you move? I don't want to be that guy. I've heard of that happening. Right? We want to be, the, even if they're sitting in your seat, you need to go over and shake hands with them and say, I am so glad you're here today. And guess what? I know it's hard because we're creatures of habit, but you're going to have to find another seat. Why? Because we're lovers of one another, especially when we got guests and we got non-Christians who are showing up at the building. It carries not only over within the building, though we do this to everyone outside of work, right? Or outside of the building, at work, you know, at, at school. We talk to people. We ask them how they're doing. We, wanna, we want to have relationships with those people so that they feel like we have love for their soul uh, and they're going to be interested in what it is that we have to tell them when it comes time to talk about worship, when it comes time to talk about doctrine. Guys, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to love one another. We have to be given to hospitality. And let me say this, and I've seen it, and so have you. There are some people within congregations that are just plain out mean. They're just mean. I don't know what else to say about it. They're just mean-spirited. They like to argue with everyone. They like to talk about people behind their back. Uh, they're just mean. I don't know what else to say about it. If you're one of those people, uh, you need to ask yourself, why are you like that? If every time you go to a congregation, you're there for six months or a year and you have to leave because there's a problem, you probably are the problem. It may be that you're one of these people. You're mean. Maybe it's that you're one of these people that's always talking behind people. You may, behind their back, you may be one of these people that's always causing strife where there doesn't need to be strife. Yeah, we're required to love one another, but we don't want to have to deal with that either. So that means that's going to have to be dealt with. Maybe that's why these people oftentimes that don't love one another are, are hopping from congregation to congregation. Well, since we touched on that, let's touch on this because this kind of ties in with it. How about ma maintaining peace? That's one of the things that a biblical congregation does. We want to maintain peace. Now, we're going to talk about that as it relates to the members within the church, but uh, there's also an aspect of maintaining peace or achieving peace with those who are not yet Christians. Listen to Romans 14, verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me pause. Some people, some people have this wrong idea that peace within a congregation means everybody just gets along. We look the other way when we disagree or there's doctrinal issues. And, you know, we just don't talk about that. Uh, and so by not talking about it, we can be at peace with one another. <clears throat> That's wrong. Let's keep going. For he that in these things serveth Christ, if you serve Christ and you want to have peace, uh, that peace better be based on Christ's teaching. Let's keep going. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. You may be saying, well, what things do make for peace? He says we should follow after these things which make for peace. What is that? I'm going to show you here in a minute. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, it's very clear here from Paul that we should follow after the things which make for peace. And you may be saying, I don't even understand how that process works. How can I understand the process of peace? Well, that's based on wisdom from above. Listen to James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You may say, oh man, I saw the word peace there a whole lot, but I still don't have this figured out. Paul says that I need to follow after the things which make for peace. You haven't really quite told me yet what these things are that make for peace. Well, let me tell you this, what it's not. Making, following after the things that make for peace is not disagree, or agreeing to disagree. It's not looking the other way when things happen that are uh, incorrect, uh, unscriptural, doctrines being taught that are, that are erroneous, and so forth. Christians do want peace among all brethren. As a matter of fact, we want, we want peace with all those who are outside of the church. We want them to become Christians, and yet the only way for that to take place is with a foundation of truth. Okay. If we're going to follow after the things which make for peace, then we have to have an understanding of the foundation for truth because that's what makes peace, right? That's what allows man to come to peace with God, right, by obeying the gospel. 
And that's what allows men to be at peace one with another, right? We have a foundational agreement on basis of truth. Listen to Romans 10, 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. If men want to have peace with God, they've got to know the gospel. They've got to obey the gospel. And if men want to have peace with other men, it's got to be based on the gospel. He says, and bring glad tidings of good things. Ephesians 6, 13 through 16, same idea. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth. Remember I was talking about truth? And having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You want to have peace regarding biblical matters? It comes with basing everything on the gospel. You follow the gospel and obey the gospel, you'll be at peace with God. You follow the gospel and obey the gospel, the good news, the teaching of the New Testament, both if, if I follow it and my Another brother in Christ follows it. We're at peace with one another. The only time we don't have peace within a congregation is when somebody is not in accordance with the Scriptures. Either they're not acting in accordance with the Scriptures or they're not believing in accordance with the Scriptures. You've got a faithful person in their actions and beliefs, and then you have another brother or sister in Christ who is not faithful in either their actions and or beliefs, and they are not at peace. Right? I'm not at peace with the non-believer yet, and I can't be because based on the gospel, they've not obeyed the gospel. They're not living according to the gospel. I want to be a peacemaker, and I want to maintain peace, but every bit of that is based on truth, which is the gospel. Christians in a biblical congregation want to build each other up. What I'm talking about is edification. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 12. And even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts... Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. You know, the Corinthians had a problem. They all wanted these spiritual gifts. And I think they had this idea that having these miraculous gifts made them something special as compared to everyone else. And I'm sure they were even arguing over which gift was the greatest. I want you to keep this in mind. There were Christians in the first century that didn't have miraculous gifts. Were they any less than the ones that did have gifts? Not if they were being faithful, no. Um... But Paul makes it clear here that instead of seeking after these gifts, the miraculous gifts, what they need to be seeking after is to abound in the edification of the church. 1 Corinthians 14.26, and notice this, you've got a problem here. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let me pause. you imagine all that taking place within worship at one time? It would have been a madhouse. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if, if somebody were to come in here and see this, they'd think you guys were all, all mad. He'd think, they'd think you're crazy. He goes on there in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. He says, let all things be done unto edifying. Our desire is for the congregation to be encouraged. Uh, our desire is for the congregation to continue to be uplifted. And there are many opportunities for us to do this within a congregation. Every congregation at some time has somebody who is sick, somebody who is dealing with either an ongoing illness or an ailment that, that they've got. We're constantly dealing with people who maybe are dealing with depression. We are constantly dealing within the congregation with people who are lonely, maybe struggling with marriage issues. They may have gone through a, a divorce or are currently going through a divorce and they're discouraged. Uh, there are so many things that could take place within a congregation that at all times we within the congregation have opportunities to be encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. And guys, I know here in context we're talking about encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ, but do you guys realize how many people are lost in the world around us that need to be encouraged? They're dealing with the same types of issues that we're dealing with within the church, right? Members are dealing with discouragement, with depression, with, with all different types of things in their lives. And you've got people outside the church who are dealing with that, and they don't know how to deal with it. One of the things we can do is, is encourage them and tell them, you know, 
you need to, you need to start coming to church with me. We can help you work through a number of these things. These are things that we, within the church, we, we can show you how to address these. We can show you how to uh, get over these things. We, we can help you in your time of need. Are they Christians yet? No, but we want them to become Christians, and they're dealing with many of the same problems that we deal with. The thing is, is here within the church, we have people to encourage us, to strengthen us, to put their arms around us and help us through it. And many of these people out in the world around us, they don't have any of that. They don't have anybody to love them. They don't have anybody to edify and, and to encourage them. We want them to become Christians, and one of the things we can do is to help uplift them just as much as we can help uplift our other brothers and sisters in Christ. I know my notes were a little bit shy today, and we're probably a little bit short on the lesson. What's my point here as we talk about biblical congregations? The point is simply this, is that Christians have to understand that con congregations need every member to remain faithful and to be in alignment with the Scriptures if we want to have biblical congregations. And as I began to think about this really yesterday, and I just started jotting stuff down, the strength of the congregation is in the obedience to the Word of God by all the members. And I would hope that, at least for us, this congregation here, and I guess for all who may be watching this, I would hope that if we were to have Jesus come and describe our congregation, that He would describe this congregation in the same way He described the congregation there in Philadelphia as He began His letter to them. And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. We're not a long congregation we're not a large congregation by any means. And some may look at us and they say, they really appear to just have a little strength left. Christ says, for thou hast a little strength and has kept my word and has not denied my name. That's a biblical congregation. If you're watching this, my desire is that you would become a Christian or that you would be a faithful Christian. If you've never heard how to become a Christian, I would love for you to contact us. Call us on the phone, send us an email, and we would sit down and study with you. But very quickly, the way you become a Christian is not complicated. You need someone to teach you the gospel. That's how faith comes, by hearing. You need to have faith, Hebrews 11:6. You need to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, or you're going to die in your sins, John 8, 24. You need to repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. Also, Acts 17, 30. You need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then you need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Jesus taught that in Mark 16, 15 and 16. Peter confirms it is for the remission of sins there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When you've done that, you will be added to the church, His church, Matthew 16, 18 and 19, by the Lord Himself. We don't have to put you on a roster or a roll to make you a member of the church. The Lord will add you to the church when you've obeyed the gospel. And then you need to be faithful. Part of that is attending a biblical congregation. If you're a Christian, look back throughout the week. Ask yourself, have you been faithful? Ask yourself if there is anything else you can do to help your congregation be faithful so that you will always attend a biblical congregation. Again, if there's a way we can help you, you can contact us. I hope you have a better understanding this evening about what a biblical congregation is.